Open your Bible to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, actually. And today we're going we're gonna to talk about the power to be witnesses. And we'll talk about this, uh, we won't finish today, we'll, you know, as always, we'll kind of take our time as we go through these things. The power to be witnesses. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Read with me these verses. Luke 24, 46. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, but before his ascension, and he's with his disciples. And in verse 46 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, it says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Father, we just ask you today that you open our hearts and open our minds by your Spirit uh, for your word to have entrance. And Lord, we ask that your word would teach us, would mold us, would shape us, would change us and transform us, conform us to your image, that we would bring glory and honor to your name as your body, the church. Amen. The power to be witnesses. So Jesus here in the gospel of Luke, and by the way, We'll look at this a little bit later, but in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts, we see the Great Commission communicated. And this is Luke's communication of the Great Commission in his Gospel. And he tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. He uses the word tarry, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Christ commands the church to preach the Gospel in his name so that through the power of God, men's hearts would be changed from cold, hard stone to flesh. This is what the prophet Ezekiel talks about. Or that men would be converted from darkness to light. This is the power of God. This is the power of the gospel. And so this is the power that we're going to be talking about. The power to be witnesses. And so the command to preach the gospel is not without the provision of power to be witnesses. And we're going to look at the promise of power, the provision of power, the purpose of power, and the prayer for power. We're going to look at four aspects of this. The promise, the provision, the purpose, and the prayer. Amen? So, we read the scripture here in Luke chapter 24. Let's go over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts was also written by Luke. So the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were written by the same author. Luke was the author of of his gospel and also the book of Acts. He makes reference to that when he says, the former account I made. So the book of Acts is a continuation by Luke of recording these things that were taking place 
um, at that time in the church and in the record, his record of of Christ and the earthly ministry of Christ. And here in Acts chapter one, look at verse four, Luke writes, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the promise of power. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go to the city of Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power from on high. And he refers to this power that they're going to be endued with as the promise of my father. Behold, I send the promise of my Father. Wait until you are endued with power from on high. So in the book of Acts, Luke records this same, this same incident where at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, before he ascends, he records in these verses that we just read basically the same thing that he recorded at the end of his gospel to go and wait until they're endued with power from on high. Now, I want you to notice something there in that, in those verses in Acts chapter 1. I want you to notice that when Luke is recording the words spoken by Jesus in referring to the promise of the Father or the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, he says this, look in verse 4. And in your Bible, if you have a red letter edition, you'll see that it has these words in red because this is what Jesus spoke. In verse 4, at the end of the verse 4, Luke writes, But to wait for the promise of the Father, this was what Jesus commanded them to do, which you have heard from me, which he said, Luke is saying, which Jesus said, you have heard from me. So what Jesus proclaimed to his disciples was, go and wait. For the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. And so what Luke is indicating here is that Jesus has communicated this promise to them. He's communicated the reality of the coming of the Holy Spirit to them before. This wasn't a new revelation. So as Jesus is with his disciples, as he's getting ready to ascend, and he says, go and wait in the city of Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, and you'll be endued with power from on high. This is what I told you guys about before. So the promise was not first made right here just before his ascension, and this is what Luke is showing us here. This is what we take from verse 4 in Acts chapter 1. This is something that Jesus had already spoke to his disciples. So let's go now from Acts chapter 1. Let's go into the Gospel of John. John's Gospel. John chapter 14. And actually, 
John chapter 14, 15, and 16, in these three chapters in the Gospel of John, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's doing this just before he is getting ready to be taken and to be crucified. So he has not been arrested yet, but he is winding everything down. And now he is telling them this is what's going to happen. He's breaking the news to them once again in in really in a very detailed and intimate way. I'm going away. And they're freaking out. And he says, no, wait, it's to your advantage that I go away. So let's look at, let's look at some sections of this um, in John's gospel. John chapter 14. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. Now, we could, boy, we could spend months just teaching on uh, John 14, just even these three chapters. So we're going to have to kind of, we're going to look at some segments of the scripture here. John 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father. Who is he praying to? Who is Jesus asking? He says, I will pray the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another helper or another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And and in verse 17, he tells them who this comforter, who this helper is. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Now, this is important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying here because we're going to look at some scripture in just a minute, if we get there today. We're going to look at some scripture that if we don't understand the world cannot receive the spirit of truth, we may get confused. I'll just give you a fast forward preview. So when we get to Acts chapter 2 and Peter quotes the prophet Joel. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. The word all there doesn't mean every single human being on planet earth. How do we know that? Because Jesus says the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. So there is someone, though, meant to receive the spirit of truth. And who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. And he says, look, I'm going away. But I'm going to pray the Father, and the Father is going to send you a helper, a comforter. Who is he, Jesus? He is the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. (laughs) Jesus is saying, whether you realize it or not, you know him. You might not understand what's fixing to happen, but you know him. But you know him. Look at this. This is very, very important. The end of verse 17. For he, who is the he? The spirit of truth, this helper, this comforter that Jesus is sending. For he dwells with you and and will be where? In you. So I want you to look at this. So from where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, remember the Bible's not written to us, but it's written for us. Jesus did not speak these words to us. He spoke them, though, for us, okay? Jesus is really talking to his disciples about something that is happening right then and right there, that's just getting ready to happen in their lives. And so Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, the Spirit dwells with you. 
present tense. The Spirit was dwelling with them. How, how might the Spirit have been dwelling with his disciples? Who was with them? Who was speaking to them? Jesus was. Remember the baptism of Jesus at the River Jordan by John the Baptist when Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water and John says, and behold, I saw a dove descending upon him. And he remembered what God had told him. When you baptize one and you see a dove, the Spirit of God coming upon you're going to know this is the Messiah. This is the one that you are the forerunner to. And so that sign came upon Jesus, which signified that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He had the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was dwelling in Jesus. The Spirit of God was not dwelling in in the way that it was going to dwell in. You understand, we bear the fingerprint of God. All human beings do. We're alive because of God. But when we're born in our first birth in Adam, in sin and death, we do not have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, living on the inside of us. Our spirit is dead. We're separated from God. We're the walking dead. I mean, we're like, we're, we're, we're living, but we're dead and separated from God. When we get saved, when salvation comes, when we're born again in our new birth, old birth, new birth, first birth, second birth, birth of the flesh, birth of the spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 3. When we're born again, we receive what? We receive the Spirit of God. Christ comes to dwell in us how? I mean, a little Christ in a little bitty body doesn't dwell in my heart. You guys understand that, right? There's not a little bitty flesh and blood Jesus living in my heart. Now, Christ, though in reality, dwells in us how? He dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. So when I get saved, when you get saved, when we're born again, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. Christ dwells in us by the Spirit. So he says to his disciples, he dwells with you, for he dwells with you and will future tense be in you. Okay? Now let's go flip over a page or a few verses to John 15, verse 26. John 15, 26. Jesus says, But when the Helper, who's he talking about? The Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth. But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father. This is the promise of the Father that Jesus is referring to in Luke's Gospel and in the book of Acts. Go wait for the promise of the Father. I spoke, which he spoke of before. So Jesus is saying, this is... Listen, I'm going to pray to the Father, and the Father is going to send a helper, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Now, I want you to see those words there. He will testify of me. We're talking about the power to be witnesses. I'm talking to you about the promise of power right now. Jesus made a promise that he would send a helper, a comforter, the spirit of truth. After his resurrection, he says to his disciples, go and wait in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, wait until you are endued with power, everybody say power, power from on high. 
And this is what Jesus is talking about. And what is the spirit of truth that empowers us? What is he going to do? Jesus said, he's going to testify of me. He's going to testify of me. And so when the helper comes, he will testify of me, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit comes to do one thing ultimately, and that is to testify of Christ to the glory of God the Father. Now, he does a lot of other things, right? He's working right now. Whether you realize it or not, Christian, who you have the Holy Ghost right now. If you are born again, if you are in Christ, I'm telling you what, the Spirit of God in fullness lives inside of you. Christ in his fullness lives on the inside of you. Whether you comprehend that or not is another thing. But I'm telling you what, whether you realize it or not, the Spirit of God is working in you right now. You say, well, I don't feel anything, Pastor Jeff. I know the Spirit's working when I get those Holy Ghost goosebumps. The only goosebumps I have right now is because it's like a meat locker in here. Y'all cold? Turn that up a little bit, Shelby. It is a little cold. (laughs) Now, that's not what we're talking about. See, the, the Spirit of God working in you is not dependent upon you feeling it. it. That would really be a sad thing, wouldn't it? If the only time the Spirit of God was working on your behalf is when you felt Him working, that would be horrible. This is why the Bible says what? We walk by faith and not by sight. We're not moved by our feelings. Well, we are, but we really should be walking by faith in spite of our feelings, right? Someone give me an amen. Come on, that's true. We should be walking by faith in spite of our feelings. You need to know that if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God is working on your behalf, working in you, working through you, working for you, all of those things, it never stops. Romans 8 In our weakness, he knows how to pray. The Spirit makes intercession for us. That doesn't happen just when you're praying in tongues. If it does, again, you're in sad shape. Because I'm telling you what, the Spirit that's living on the inside of you right now is making intercession on your behalf. Your mind might be thinking about something else, but here's the good news. Your Spirit, the Spirit of God in you, is not tied to what your mind is doing. Your mind might be having a carnal moment right now, but I'm telling you what, the Spirit of God's not having a carnal moment. He is interceding on your behalf in spite of your carnality. As a matter of fact, He's interceding on your behalf to to get you out of your carnality and to conform you more and more in greater measure to the image of the Son of God. And so the good news for us as Christians is, The Spirit of God on the inside of us never ceases to intercede for us, never ceases working, never ceases to mold and to shape us and to conform us to the image of God. He works not only in us, He works through us, He works through everything around us. That trial and that tribulation you're walking through right now, I promise you the Spirit of God is using that to conform you to the Son of God. He is. God doesn't waste any opportunities. He doesn't waste anything. This is why Paul could say in all honesty and and actually rejoice in the midst of his trials and tribulations. Now, I'm not saying I'm there. I, I don't like trials and tribulations. And I have to remind myself that in the midst of them, I should be rejoicing. 
But this is why Paul, Paul had a revelation. He understood, hey, my trials, my tribulations, whether they beat me and leave me for dead, whether they reject me, it doesn't matter. These things are working for me a more exceeding weight of glory. This is what he said. This is what he's encouraging us to understand and to realize. How is that possible? Because the Spirit of God on the inside of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he is working in all of these things. And and what is the ultimate end of his work? As much as we want to think it's all about us, it's not about us. The ultimate end of his work is about him. The Spirit of God ultimately was sent to dwell in us, to testify of Christ, with the ultimate end being the glory of the Father. And so Jesus is telling them here, he said, listen, it's important that you understand what is transpiring. When the helper comes, he will testify of me. Look down in John 16, verse 7. Let's begin reading in verse 5. It's hard for us to comprehend these things because we live here in this time. But if you would just sometimes, as you read the scripture, for instance, as we read the gospel of John, we read the words of Jesus here. Put yourself in the position of those disciples. Think about these guys have walked with Jesus now for three and a half years. I mean, they have seen Jesus raise the dead. They have seen Jesus heal the blind. They have seen Jesus open up deaf ears. They've seen Jesus do amazing things. They are convinced he is the Messiah. He has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of preaching the gospel to the poor, of healing blind eyes, deaf ears, healing lame, raising the dead. they, They understand this is the Messiah. They are thinking... Our time has come. God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. We saw them ask this question in Acts chapter 1. And we see Jesus' answer, don't worry about that. You just preach the gospel. And so here they are, and Jesus is telling them, look at verse 5, John 16, verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Can you imagine? Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. They're like, what? What do you mean you're leaving? What's going to happen to us? We left our fishing business. We burned all of our bridges. We have people that hate us now because we followed you. What do you mean you're leaving? They're stunned silence. But look what Jesus says. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. He's in the midst of telling them, listen, what I want you to be filled with is not sorrow. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. But he understands right now sorrow has filled their hearts. They are dazed and confused. Have any of you ever been dazed and confused? (laughs) They're dazed and confused. 
And you know what? Jesus totally understands. He, he knows they're dazed and confused. Sorrow has filled their heart. Their hopes and their dreams are being dashed before their very eyes, and they haven't even seen Jesus crucified yet. He's just telling them, I'm going away. Can you imagine as they witnessed the death of Jesus on that cross? We cannot imagine the death of Jesus on the cross. I mean, as good a job as Mel Gibson did in The Passion of the Christ, you, you cannot imagine what transpired with the death of Jesus on the cross. And his disciples are there witnessing their Messiah die on that cross. The most cruel and horrendous death, the most shameful death that a human being could die. You know why God chose the cross? I, I believe this. The reason God chose the crucifixion as the way for his son to die is because that was the most cruel, most humiliating death that a human could die. And when the Bible says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and became like us, took on human flesh, became obedient even to the point of death, even the death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just choose to die. Jesus died the most humiliating and cruel death possible. I mean, Jesus humbled himself as low as could possibly be humbled. But what's Paul goes on and he writes, but God has given him what? The name that is above every other name and has exalted him above all things. Jesus humbled himself to the very depths, the very lowest point. And because of that humility, God has exalted him to the highest heaven. Only by the Spirit of God can we begin to get even a glimpse and an understanding of what Jesus did for us on the cross and what he has provided for us through that atoning death and through his resurrection and through his prayer that the Father would send us a helper, a comforter. And he tells his disciples here, Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, look, I know sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. That's, in human terms, that's hard to receive. Sorrow has filled their hearts. And Jesus saying, "Never listen, I know you're sorrowful. I know sorrow has filled your hearts. I know you don't understand. Nevertheless, hear my words. It is to your advantage advantage and he tells them he said listen in that day when i come back and he's not talking about the second coming in that day when he comes back from the dead this is what john 14 is talking about when he comes back from the dead he said in that day he said listen you're going to remember these words and even more than that on that day of pentecost when i pour out my spirit the spirit of god is going to 
call to your remembrance, just like he's teaching them here. He's going to bring to your remembrance all of my words. He's going to testify to me. You're going to know there was a reason why those disciples came out of that upper room in power. They went in one way, they came out another way. They went in with the promise, they came out with the provision. And so Jesus is telling his disciples here, he says, I know your hearts are filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the spirit of God, the spirit of truth will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That's good news, church. The Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force in the universe. You realize that. How is, look how Jesus is referring to the Spirit of God. The Helper will not come. He is with you, but He will be in you. He's not some force in the universe. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is a person of the Godhead. That person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the helper, the comforter, he lives, he dwells on the inside of you, Christian, right now. If you are in Christ, he is in you, and you are in him. He is that part, that person of the Trinity, sent to you personally, As you are in Christ, so He is in you. As you dwell in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's sent to you to testify of Christ. And it was that Spirit, that Spirit of God, that made you a member of His body through salvation. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you to give you power to be a witness. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus, long before this point, still in the midst of his earthly ministry, before his crucifixion, before he's teaching these things, he says, in the, in, the, in the gospel of Luke, Luke records this, Jesus says, if then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit To those who ask him. If you, let me read that again. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, the Holy Spirit is not something we earn. It's not something we have to labor and prove our worth to God in order to receive. Any more than your salvation is. Your salvation is not something you work or you earn. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't prove yourself to God. You don't prove yourself worthy to God so that he will give you salvation. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have salvation. And if you don't have salvation, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because if Christ doesn't dwell in you and you don't dwell in Christ, you're not saved. And the only way Christ can dwell in you and you can dwell in Him is 
by the Spirit of God. As much as Jesus was teaching his disciples in Luke eleven thirteen how to receive the Holy Spirit, he was teaching them how to be saved. What does let's go to let's go to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter nine. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, 10, 9. Romans 10, 9. Paul's writing here, he says in, in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes or one trusts unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, whoever asks the Father, he'll give the Holy Spirit. Do you ask the Father from a heart of faith to be saved? Guess what the Father will do? He will save you. If you ask the Father from a heart of faith to give you the Holy Spirit, guess what the Father will do? He will save you. (laughs) And He will give you the Holy Spirit. And why does the Father want you to have the Holy Spirit? I mean, besides, that's how we're saved. That's how Christ lives in us, right? But what's the point of you and I being saved? just so that we can have the assurance of salvation and look forward to going to heaven one day and having a great time? Or did God save us for a greater purpose than ourselves, perhaps? See, this is, this is a place we've got to come to as, as the church. We've got to understand that God saved us for a greater purpose than just ourselves. I am not, you are not, my salvation, your salvation is not, not the end all, be all here. Your salvation was authored by God because God wants to use your life to do what? To testify, to witness to Christ that ultimately that witness will do what? Bring glory to the Father. How do we know that? Because this is what John 15, this is what Jesus taught us in John 15. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That this vine, Jesus said, I am the vine, I'm the true vine that this vine and these branches of this vine bear much fruit. And the fruit is not how big my bank account is. The fruit's not how big my car is. The fruit's not how big my house is. The fruit's not any of that. The fruit is, the fruit is eternal life. It is the salvation. It is that which testifies of Christ that ultimately brings glory to the Father. Now, there's a whole lot that we benefit from as a result of being in Christ and being saved. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you what, God can do amazing things. But the power of the Holy Spirit is never, was never given and never intended just so that I could do amazing things. It's not. 
It's not so that I can travel the world and tell people how great my gift is. No, it's not. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to believers so that that spirit in them would testify of Christ to that believer and through that believer to the world. And through the Spirit of God, the power of God that the gospel has, that that Spirit of God in us, that power in us, would witness to Christ and would draw men. And men would be changed. We use the word converted. From darkness to light. From death to life. A hard heart to a heart of flesh. You and I can't do that. You can't convince someone to believe. I was at Shepherd's Heart yesterday, and I talked to an elderly gentleman that was there. And uh, I like to go, when I go, I like to just walk around and and just visit with people and always ask them if there's anything we can pray about. And, And these two very elderly gentlemen were sitting on the couch by the window and and the one guy, I asked him what his name was. He told me his name. And, and, um, and I asked him, I said, I said, do you know Christ? And he said, nope. He said, I'm not going to lie to you. He said, I, I don't know him. I said, well, I really appreciate your honesty. I said, you know, most of the time when I walk up to people and ask them, they just tell me what they know I want to hear. He said, well, there's no sense in me lying to you. He said, because I can't lie to God. And so... I sat down there and and had a a great conversation with this gentleman. And here's what he told me. And I I told him, I said, you know, you you understand salvation better than a lot of people who profess to be Christian understand it. And he told me, he said, he said, I can't read. He said, I never learned to read. He said, I remember there was a there was a guy. He said, I don't hate God. He said, I just I just don't know him. He said, I don't know if there's a heaven. I don't know if there's a hell. I don't know if there's a God or not. He said, but here's what I do know. He said, unless God does something in my heart, he said, God's got to do it in my heart. He said, no use of me lying to you, telling you what, I want, what you want me to say. He said, until God does something in my heart, he said. He said, I remember, he said, when I was young, he said, we were working in the cotton fields, and he said there was a guy that drove the cotton wagon, and he said this guy hated God. And he'd say, I don't want anything to do with God. He'd curse God. And he said this guy just didn't want to have anything to do with God. And he said one day we're working out there in the cotton field, and he said this, this guy who hated God, something happened to him. God changed his heart. God did something to his heart. And he went from hating God and rejecting God to trusting in God. I know something's got to change in my heart. I said, well, I appreciate your honesty. And I said, you're exactly right. I said, God's got to touch your heart. And I said, but we can pray. We can pray that God will touch your heart. And that's what we did. Now, he didn't confess Jesus. He didn't, I didn't say, would you repeat this prayer after me just to make sure you're saved? Because that doesn't save anybody. He can repeat words all day long. If it doesn't come from a heart of faith, those words mean nothing. 
But I left there from talking with that gentleman, believing, I'm trusting that, that he's going to be saved one day. Because he knows, he knows God's got to do something in his heart. He's aware of that. He didn't come up with that by himself. He can't even read. He can't read the he couldn't read the Bible if he wanted to. But something in him says, you know what, until God touches my heart. That is the power of conversion. Now, I could have sat there and tried to convince that guy. I probably could have convinced him to say a prayer. Just, just say this prayer with me, okay? And I could have walked away deceiving myself into thinking, well, he said the prayer, he's probably okay. No? Don't do that to people. That, that man knew the truth. Until God touches his heart, he's not going to be saved. So what do we need to do? We need to pray God touch his heart. We need to pray that he will keep that understanding and, and, and cry out to God because the day he cries out to God, it doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to be the day he cries. He might be all alone somewhere. The day he cries out to God from his heart, I tell you what, God just like that will save him because that's what the scripture says. Jesus put no condition on it. Ask the Father and he will give you the Holy Ghost. He didn't say Ask in church. Ask after you pray with the preacher. He he put no condition on it. He said, ask. But what's understood there is that when we ask, we're going to ask in faith. If we don't don't believe, if we don't, why would I even ask? If I don't believe there's a Holy Ghost, why would I even ask for it? If I don't believe there's a God, why would I even cry out to him? Something in this man that I talked to Saturday, bore witness that there is a God. He just hasn't reconciled things in his mind yet, but see, he doesn't need to reconcile things in his mind. He's got to get his heart right. And God, what I'm saying, church, is this. God knows how to get men's hearts right. But if we're not willing to preach the gospel, if we're not willing to reach out to people, if we're not willing... To present the truth to them. And to love them where they are. To reach them where they are. Don't expect that they've got to come here and walk up front and shake the hand of the preacher and say a prayer. And that's the only way they're going to get saved? Uh Uh-uh. We say, you know, you need to receive Jesus. No, I'll tell you what. Jesus better receive us. If Jesus doesn't receive me, I'm, I'm out of luck. The worst thing I believe I could have done was tell that man, yeah, you know, just when you're ready, just... Now listen, it's not when I'm ready, it's when God's ready. And we need to understand, I, we need to realize, this is why Paul says, today is the day, now is the day, now is the time, today is the day of salvation. I remember before I got saved, going to church periodically with my sister. I didn't accept Christ in church. I didn't pray a prayer to receive Christ in church. And I can remember going to church, though, being under conviction. But, but nowhere in my mind did I, was I thinking there was a fear in me. I knew I was rejecting Christ. Something, this, that was God. God, by His Spirit, had, had opened 
my understanding, and I knew that I was rejecting God. And I tell you what, when I walked out of church, having rejected God, not responding to the altar call, there was, there was fear. There was something fearful in me. I, was, I knew I just walked away and rejected God again. I'd never read a Bible. I'd never studied the Bible. But something in me knew that, you know what? Uh, God's not my puppet who I just get to do whatever I want with whenever I get ready to do with. I, I am the creation. He is the creator. He is the savior, and I'm the one needing salvation. And the night that I surrendered to God, that day I, I heard a message. I'd secretly listened to Christian radio. No one knew I was even struggling with Christianity. I sure didn't want my three roommates to know. And I heard this message about God allowing our hearts to be hardened. And you know what? That, that scared me. And when I walked into that divine, I had no idea I was walking into a divine appointment that, that Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock. No idea whatsoever. But when I walked in there and it became apparent to me that this was a divine appointment, and the person I was talking to said, you're not born again. I know that's why I've allowed you into my home. You're here to be saved. I knew right then. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it's like I heard God say to me, if you walk away tonight rejecting me, I'll let your heart be hardened. And that was enough for me right there. Because I, I, I had come to understand, you know what? Salvation is not on my terms. Salvation is on God's terms. This is why it's important for us to preach the truth, to preach the gospel, and let the gospel convict the hearts of men. You don't have the power to convince people to be saved. You can try that, and you can deceive them into thinking they are saved because you got them to do something. But the gospel in you, the gospel through you, does have the power to convert the hearts of men. And if we will trust the power of the gospel, if we'll trust God, God will work through us. This is the power to be witnesses. This is what God has given us his spirit for. That as we go out into the world, we have the power because we have Christ in us. We have been entrusted with the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. For the Jew first, then to the Greek whosoever, to all who will call upon his name. But you've got to give them a gospel that they can respond to and trust that as that gospel goes, you might not see the fruit. You might not see the change take place. You might walk away and say, well, I don't know if that did any good or not. Hey, you just sowed seed. It's not your power that's going to convert a heart. It's the power of God that's going to convert a heart. But we've got to be faithful farmers, faithfully sowing seed so that God can do what he has promised to do. Ask him, call upon his name, and you shall be saved. You shall receive the Holy Spirit. Every one of you who are saved, 
today, every one of you who are born again today, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. Paul described it this way, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. He said that in the midst of his letter to the Romans, and he said also in that letter, he said, if you are Christ, you are not in the flesh anymore, you are in the Spirit. Romans 8, 9. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 1. You are in, if you are Christ, verse 9, you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. And what does Paul say throughout his epistles? If you, have, if you live in the Spirit, if you receive the Spirit, so walk in the Spirit. Christian, you have the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling on the inside of you. Do you understand the power that you possess? Or I really should say it this way. Do you understand the power that possesses you? Because salvation is not a thing you possess. Salvation is a person who possesses you. We think salvation is something God gave us and we put it in our pocket and keep it real safe. I don't want to lose my salvation. Now, listen, your salvation is so much bigger than that. You better get rid of that small way of thinking and realize salvation is not a thing God gives to you. Salvation is a person who has taken possession of you. This is why you can't lose your salvation, because God doesn't lose the things that he has found and created. He ain't going to lose you. He's not going to, because you don't own yourself. This is what Paul said, I don't own myself anymore. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. I don't possess myself anymore. God possesses me, and God doesn't lose his stuff. I lose my stuff all the time. I'll tell you what. If, if it was up to me to keep my salvation, make sure I didn't lose it, I, I've already lost it a long time ago. I lose hammers, I lose screwdrivers, I lose, I mean, ask my family. I'll go in the garage to do a job, it's like, I can't find, there's the list. I am so thankful. Salvation is not what I possess, it's who possesses me. He's not going to lose me. Not only that, but he has put his spirit on the inside of you. And I, I would encourage you to begin to pray that God give you a revelation of the power that possesses you. The power that is on the inside of you. And God didn't give that power to you so that you could go around and say, hey, have power, we'll travel. Look at me. I'm going to go hang my shingle out somewhere and demonstrate the power of God. No, listen, God gave you that power to be a witness to him. A witness where? Moms, dads, be a witness in your home first. Be a witness to your children. Be a witness, just start right there. For the family, we can say this. Listen, Jerusalem, our Jerusalem is our family. It's our home. It's our family. Let's start there. Let's move out from there. Just like God told, told his disciples, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Start in your home, and let's move out from there. Don't stop in your home. See, this was the mistake the church made in the book of Acts. We'll look at this a little later. God had to bring persecution to get them out of Jerusalem so that they would fulfill the Great Commission, go to Judea and Samaria. Start in your home, but don't stop in your home. Let that power in you be a witness everywhere you go and everything you do. You have been saved. You are here in this city. You are here where you are doing what you're doing because God wants to use your life as a witness. Be a witness to Christ. Your witness is not 
contained in these four walls. It must not be contained in these four walls. You need to take it out and let your light shine. But I'm scared, Pastor Jeff. This is why God gave us His Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives us boldness to be a witness. You say, well, I've got the Spirit, but I don't have any boldness. Well, then begin to pray. Begin to pray that God would give you boldness. You don't need more of His Spirit. You need boldness. You need more boldness. You need the boldness that comes with His Spirit. God didn't give you a down payment of His Spirit. Well, I gave you 25%. I gave you 50%. Hey, you're doing pretty good. You pray a lot and go to church a lot. I'll give you 75%. If you're really good, I'll give you even more. No, that's not the way it works. Listen, when you got saved, God gave you His Spirit. Now, what you need to do is pray that you allow the manifestation of that fullness that's in you to come out. Let it come forth. Let God give you a revelation of his perfect love for you. It'll cast out all fear, 1 John 4.18. Pray, pray, pray that God give you boldness to be a witness. That God would speak through you. Amen. Get in his word so that there's something in there to come out. But don't wait to be a Bible scholar because you'll never be a Bible scholar, okay? I don't care how many pieces of paper or letters you have behind your name. It's not dependent on how much book knowledge you have. God can take a little bit and do a whole lot with it if you'll be a willing vessel. His Spirit knows how to do that. Amen? Let's all stand. Power to be witnesses. We're called to be powerful witnesses. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you today, Lord, we're your church. We are the body of Christ. Lord, you have saved us, and you have put your spirit in us. The very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. It will strengthen our mortal body. Father, deliver us from fear. Lord, give us a revelation, not only of who you are, but who we are in you and who you are in us. And help us to be powerful witnesses for Christ. Not obnoxious witnesses, but powerful witnesses. Help us, Lord, to walk through this world with wisdom and sensitivity in the Spirit. And Lord, when you present opportunities to us, Lord, that we would seize those, trusting that your Spirit in us, Lord, will not only empower us and make us bold, but God, your Word coming out of us, the Gospel that we would declare, is a powerful Gospel. It's powerful enough to convert men's hearts. Father, we pray that you would do that. That you would be so gracious as to use us as your vessels to affect the conversion of men's hearts from darkness to light. Just as you converted our hearts, God. Lord, we pray for your church today. That she would not be lazy and apathetic. That she would not be in fear, but she would rise up in boldness and strength and power in faith. And be the witnesses that you have 
declared us to be and commanded us to be consistent with the spirit that you have given to us. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise you. Be glorified in your church, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise.